Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champions of Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming, presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash Games, or later on your favorite podcast service, Mitra Jordan and Rafael Bucamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health and how gaming affects us. If you hear this live in the chat, you can leave a question that I, Trevor Bettis, will ask them later in the show. And speaking of uh, asking questions, that's all we're doing this episode. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, yeah, we're just doing questions. Yeah, questions. Uh, they're not even about psychology. I was uh, not. I am contractually obligated to answer no questions. Okay. Oh God, I pointed the wrong way again. When did oh, I figure no! out? No, I'm Mitra right? today. I'm Mitra today. How are you Mitra today? I'm Mitra. I did it again. Oh, God. Why do I always think it looks like okay? There we it's go. It's Freaky Tuesday. It's Freaky Tuesday. Uh, I'm not Mitra anymore. You're not okay. Mitra anymore. No, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you now know where we're all at. Stream. Yeah, it's gonna no, be the, fun. This has been the Hi. last thirty minutes. Hello. <laughs> I'm, I need a mustache to twirl if I'm going to be Rafael Bocamazzo. <laughs> mm, yes. Yes. <laughs> There are so many times when I feel left out. Of this <laughs> I'm not saying I want a mustache, people. All I'm saying if, is, <laughs> if, if we if we could remember, which we won't, uh, just open season five and Mitra has a fake mustache, curly mustache on for. Oh my no god! One yes, it. no one addresses it. <laughs> oh, that's going to be glorious. <laughs> And now they're plotting and scheming for me to. Hi, do gang. Hello. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're uh, we're gonna be going back through uh, the question doc from this season and uh, grabbing some questions that we didn't have time to get to because we love uh, that you all uh, ask questions. We really, really do. We don't always have time to get through all of them. So we've essentially kind of made it last two seasons where the last episode is us going through and catching those. Yeah. Um, so uh but still feel free to ask questions um you know it, you know still uh respectful pg-13 and about you know psychology <laughs> and whatnot and stuff like that self-care and everything um but uh <laughs> trevor is balanced a little low i'm balanced a little low all, like all the time uh <laughs> here let's see uh bang if that helps Hopefully it does. Um, so yeah, we're gonna start off on here, but yes, feel free to still ask questions. Our awesome mods, Mars and Martin are here to grab those from chat. Uh, you know, put uh, you know question colon that, uh, so that uh, they can easily grab them. Um, so let's go back uh, all the way to episode 41, rejection <laughs> sensitivity. <laughs> Um, so we're gonna start with this one. This one comes from Reaver01, who I've already seen in the chat. Thank you for being here. What's Reaver. up, Reaver? 
Uh, question, can rejection sensitivity or misregulation of emotions in general lead to, uh, parentheses, attempted, forced suppression of emotion depending on circumstance? We're coming out with the heavy hitter ones. Coming out, yeah, no, coming out. Wait, I for, we didn't, because all of us have executive functioning challenges, um, we don't have a legend on the highlighting. Hey, Trevor, what hmm. color What color highlighting am I? This was, you're I you're this yellow, was she's green, yeah. blues yeah, for yeah. both of y'all. Oh, blues yeah. for both. Yes. That makes yeah. sense. Yes. Well, it does, because I thought we were te- we were both had things to say about this one. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Would you like to start? Sure, sure. Okay, let's. Okay, so one of my one of my gripes with uh, rejection sensitivity as a as a concept, the way it's often talked about, um, is very frequently people talk about it as this unified whole concept. Like if you have rejection sensitivity, you have rejection sensitivity in the same way. Um, I, I, I struggle with depression. Depression's a fairly consistent construct. But the thing is, rejection sensitivity isn't. It happens for so many reasons. And it happens, we react to it for so many different reasons. It's not limited to any one diagnosis. It's not limited to a diagnosis. People can be sensitive to rejection for so many underlying reasons. And we can react differently because of that. So yeah. yeah. I think yeah. And we had we had talked, I think, last time about how it wasn't a thing. Um, we all as humans can get sensitive over things that have affected us. And the word sensitive has really kind of been weaponized, I find. And uh and the idea of rejection. Um, or being sensitive about rejection has also now been when you call it a rejection sensitivity disorder, it becomes pathologized. In other words, there's something wrong with me. We're mm-hmm. located within me. I'm a delicate flower. I'm overly sensitive. All of these kinds of ideas that really bothers me because typically when a person um, becomes sensitized to something, there's a good reason. You know, mm-hmm. people who experience um, a lot of racism are going to be sensitive to comments around race. People who have experienced challenges in school um, or an inability to do maths, hello, dyscalculia, I'm talking to you, um, you know, are going to experience sensitivity around that. I mean, I can tell you that when my math teacher walked into the classroom in grade, let's see, I think it was grade seven, um, it, it put the fear of God into me and I just knew it wasn't going to be good. And so, yeah, and you know, I knew the others would kind of titter and giggle at me when she said, Ramey, that was my, that's my middle name and used to be my last name. Homework, where's your homework? Well, yeah. I'm already terrified. Oh, she was terrifying. She was like, Sounds like four she belongs in nothing. And she was like a little tank. Sounds and like she he... belongs in Jabba's palace. <laughs> <laughs> she had quite the voice, you know. Morning oh. class. Oh, homework, everybody. And then she'd have you hand your homework. I just start, to... I started thinking about where's my homework. I'm not even in this situation. Right? And I'm thinking, do I have my homework? Yeah, my heart would pound, but I would never let on. And then I'd end up standing in the corner the whole time. And you bet I got sensitive about how, you know, I wasn't a good student and there were things I couldn't do. Anyway, that's my point is that we develop these, these um, feelings um, these little wounds, mm-hmm. these points of sensitivity or blistering on our spirit for reasons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, jumping in on that, I'm going to, these things are often secondary because of underlying things. 
And mm-hmm. so I'm just going to once once again remind folks, if you, especially if you've missed that episode, rejection sensitivity dysphoria is not a researched concept. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. At least as a whole, as a whole single stable construct it's not an it's not a researched concept it's not like saying generalized anxiety disorder nope or Mm. clinical depression nope so don't you know don't um let it land on you with the same weight because it it means nothing it's a collection of words that someone has put together to try to make sense of a range of feelings that people experience. And in that sense, fine. You know, if it speaks to your experience of something, okay, but just recognize that it's not something that professionals or clinicians believe actually exists. We're much more interested in looking at what your experience is and how you're doing and why something might be um, harder to mm-hmm. cope with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 when oftentimes when we give these, we give these labels to things that really are a collection of experiences, it risks invalidating the complexity of our experiences because, um, yeah, it just, it, it, it reduces it down to a single construct. And if that construct doesn't hold up to scrutiny, we, it actually risks doing more harm to us and perpetuating our ongoing problems. And so, uh, to get back to Reaver's question, can rejection sensitivity or misregulation of emotions in general lead to suppression of emotions depending on the circumstances? Sure. 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 I mean, sure. it can lead to a lot of things. It depends on the person, it depends on the cause. And mm-hmm. that's why I, you know, I tell people, if you find yourself, you know, feeling sensitive to rejection, work with a mental health professional to kind of figure out what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Cause it can be a lot of things. Um, I'm going to move us to the, the next question just so we can uh, see how many we can get through in this, uh, this episode. Oh, lightning, lightning. Uh, Nazgul666. Uh, wow, it really went for the, <laughs> really went for the, the, the villain Twitter, Twitch name there. Uh, question. Uh, so I'm generally, I'm generally good at seeing both sides' possibilities, and I've often seen people arguing, especially on the internet, but also in real life, uh, just because somebody felt rejected uh, when they... Uh, felt rejected when they not really were. Um, that's what rejection sensitivity is then or part of it. So it's uh, basically that they're saying that uh, they, they felt rejected when they weren't actually rejected. Um, is, oh. <laughs> is, that, that, is that part of the rejection sensitivity of like feeling rejected when the person's not actually rejecting you or is it, or they're, they're kind of asking on that for, term of like, if it's a felt thing only okay okay so this is this is kind of on the order of listen i walked down these rickety steps towards the beach and one time i slipped on them and you can bet every other time particularly if i hurt myself i'm going to pay attention to those steps so if there's something that i am primed to be more worried about or more sensitive about and by sensitive let's say vigilant right let's say concerned let's say ready or prepared uh, to protect ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Then, then you can bet that if the circumstances look identical to a circumstance that hurt me, I'm going to be paying attention to that. And it can be extremely dismissive for someone else to be like, yeah, but nothing's happening. You shouldn't feel this way. Okay. I get that you might say, hey, um, I get it, but this is, this is not what I meant to say, or I just want to provide another perspective on what's happening right now. And, you know, 
because when we talk about um, traumatic experience, even mild traumatic experience, say, um, and we talk about those activating points, which some people call triggers, right? As in, I'm walking into a situation that looks an awful lot like this other one. I'm walking down a dark alley. I got mugged on uh, one, one time going down a dark alley. Of course, I'm going to be super vigilant and careful, and it might set off my heart pounding and me having a kind of physiological reaction to something or an emotional reaction. So yes, of course, someone's going to be more sensitive or more worried about something. And for those around this person who's supporting them or who just you know wants to offer feedback, be careful there. And be kind you know so yeah yeah um so we're gonna we're gonna jump to episode 42 perfectionism uh the uh cassie's three through five said um this was in response to something you were saying, but essentially it did end up being a question itself um if we don't strive for perfection we might stop striving mm. what do you both feel about that Okay, I'm gonna challenge myself. I got a got a timer here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this quickly. <laughs> there we go. All right, timer's going. Yeah, no, uh, there is a difference between complacency and satisfaction. Okay, and just because you feel satisfied with something doesn't mean you have to feel complacent and not strive for more. You can finish one race and still start another one. Look at how much time I have left. Boom. Yeah, see, hey, hey. You, now, now you can answer another question. See, you, oh, you finished crud. one question. Now you can answer crud. another question. Lightning time. Mitro, <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, you got anything about that one? I think that that kind of thinking puts so much pressure that it's all about the achievement or the goal versus the, the journey. Um, and I think that's one of the problems with perfectionism, the idea that we should get something right and finish it and that we shouldn't, I don't know, rest on our laurels. Um, now, you know, you resting's pretty sweet. Just telling you, right. I think that it's okay to give ourselves a break sometimes and to not expect that, um, that we're either going to get something done perfectly, because as we know, and is often said, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And I don't think that most people who care and are conscientious about something that they're doing, we inevitably want to do a better job. We inevitably look at something and think, oh, yeah, I did this five years ago and I thought it was pretty good then, but now I know so much more and, you know, I can do it better now. And that's okay. That's competing against yourself over time, which is pretty healthy. But if you put too much pressure on yourself, then everything is like walking through water. It is hard. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Um, we did have another one marked there, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that one if... Uh if we if we have time mm -hmm. um so let's go to where do we got one uh the episode 44 mental health myths we hate uh <laughs> this one this one was marked for mitra uh stabigail the cobalt uh says the mental wellness is somehow or that mental wellness is somehow lesser or not as important to pay attention to as physical health yeah so i remember as we talked about this yesterday i was thinking um mental health and wellness is less visible than physical health can be. Now, not all physical health issues are visible. We know enough people who've been to the doctor and told it's all in their head and, you know, it actually it's a thing that, you know, but a lot of times it's easy to focus on physical health and also people have empathy 
generally for physical health issues, whereas mental health issues mm. have been stigmatized in our culture. It's getting a little bit better, but it's still certainly an issue to say, I'm experiencing depression. It, you know, it's hard for me to get out of bed and do things. You know, there's an awful lot of language around pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. And, you know, mm -hmm. movies have these montages. I'm where not, you I'm not flexible enough to do that. <laughs> I'm I am to not flexible. Bootstraps. <laughs> maybe in my, maybe in my twenties, but. Uh... I feel like that's got to involve some kind of somersault. <laughs> I'm trying to visualize bootstraps. Yeah. 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 It's it's kind of tough. Where am I supposed to go once I've got a grip on them? <laughs> anyway, yes, you see the problem, people. So it's <laughs> <laughs> fair. Um, let's see here. Ah, uh, this uh was episode 45, What Therapists Think. Uh, we and, don't. Uh, <laughs> uh meet your head a few uh, uh marked <laughs> off on this one. <laughs> Uh, but uh, uh, always, Dr. B, feel free to, to hop in. So oh, let's, yeah. let, let's start with this one. Uh, Blushing Crafter says, if someone asks you to also take on a different thing they struggle with, how do you react? Uh, we have a system in public health where they uh, where they then have to make a new case and consider whether uh, they can take that on or not. Right. So, you know, I think we've talked quite a lot about employee assistance programs and those kinds of situations where um, you go to your someone in human resources and they hook you up with your EAP or you call them directly and you've maybe got four to six sessions. In that context, it is difficult to do more than one thing. Right. You've come in for a specific thing. The paperwork is around that thing. It's not like a therapist isn't going to look at the other material you bring in, but they might say, hey, we're unfortunately we've got four to six weeks or whatever to focus on this thing uh, in private practice. It's fine. I mean, I tend to see people as integrated beings where, it, you know, one thing comes up and we may not know exactly how it relates to the other thing, but there's a really good chance there's actually a relationship there because we are whole people with lots of different issues that actually intertwine. And so for me, it's actually great when people mention or talk about other things that, that are important to them. People come into sessions and we may have an idea about what we're going to talk about that day. And we may end up talking about some other thing that's really arisen and that they need to work through that's creating distress. So we may focus each session. Okay, so I know you wanted to spend some time on this thing over here. I wanna make sure we leave room for that. Is there anything else? But that's not to say that we don't deal with the whole person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I did uh, wanna uh, poke in real quick with the uh, two things I saw in the chat. Uh, the, the Moles Revenge, I like this. This was part of the, the um, physical health and mental health. No one tells a man with a broken leg to just walk it off, but plenty of people expect someone uh, who is depressed to just cheer up. I like that. That, yeah, that is true. Absolutely. Very true. Um, and uh, Doorbell Streams uh, says, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps was meant to be a mockery of people demanding the impossible. And yeah. now I love that saying so much. Perfect. Thank you for that. That I really makes a do. lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. This is uh, DMN Tiger. Um, I've, I've known. Yeah. 
I've known folks who have therapists and some have a, had a really good relationship with them and others uh, have not because their perceptions of their therapist not getting it, uh, the things that the person is having troubles, trouble with. How do you tell whether there's that sync between the therapist and the client? I ask mm-hmm. regularly. Yeah. I mean, we've, 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 we've talked about this before in gaming contexts, um, or I have maybe here, maybe other places, but, um, in terms of being a good DM, there's some solid skills there that are, that go along with being a, I'd like to think a reasonably decent therapist. And one of them is soliciting feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'm there to serve my client and I am, that's my job. I work for them. Mm-hmm. They pay my salary. I'm there to do a job for them. I want to solicit feedback. And I do regularly to see, to make sure things are going okay. If there's things that they feel like they perceive as an obstacle to what's going on and really overtly making a space for them to feel heard, supported and so forth. And so um, that's one of the things um, that I will, uh, as a therapist, I will straight up ask um, from a client's perspective, do you feel heard? Do you feel welcome? Do you feel like you can bring up challenges and have them resolved? Um, you know, similar to other sorts of relationships. Do you feel welcome in that space? That's uh, that, the, that kind of question is actually what kind of made me realize with my last therapist that it wasn't working uh, with somebody essentially asked me those questions. And I, and I had this like, Whoa, I feel like I just had an inception moment of therapy where I had a realization about the realization of my realization. <laughs> yeah, it inception has to feel like. happens. It... Okay, don't do that to me. <laughs> Does not promote safety. It's the mesmer eye. <laughs> it's the mesmer eye. Gar. Folks, I don't think he actually does that in session, just to be clear. <laughs> No, well, depends. Yeah, the really important thing for me is that clients feel a sense of safety and trust and that the conversation can go where it needs to. And that's something ultimately a client determines. But uh, I try to pay attention to how people are feeling and I do most certainly elicit um, their sense of how it's going. How are you feeling about this? Uh, I'm very clear with people when we first meet and I do a free half hour with them that I can, um, that I'm happy to refer out that if at any point it doesn't feel like this is working, let's have a conversation about it because I work for them, just as you were saying. Yeah. It's it's actually really a shock, a shocking thing for me, um, especially working with teens and young adults, uh, how many of them haven't been told that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because and I, you know, we can get into the history of of mental health treatment from a you know Western perspective. That a lot of times the power differential between the client and the the provider is amplified, or at least not not dealt with overtly. And 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 therapists have clients who often feel like they need to perform to the standard of the therapist, when truthfully, mm. it's supposed to be the other way around. which is why I tell my clients, I work for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. The the piece you said just reminded me, I'm just going to turn this a little bit better in terms of focus. Thank you. Um, It reminded me of how when um, 
when we've had a conversation, the client and I, and they've come to um, recognize something, um, oh, wow, you know, it's, that's, you know, that's something I hadn't thought of before, often quickly followed by, wow, why didn't I think of that before? Why, why should you have? Like, really, it's okay. Why, why put that pressure on yourself? That's why we're here. It's akin to going into a, a, a class in a new grade, say, or, you know, a new year of university or a new program and thinking, I should already know this. Now, in some cases, there, is, there perhaps is some stuff that led up to this particular prerequisite, if you will. But so much of the time, it's like, no, you're not coming in on day one to test what you know. You're coming in to rest and learn, you know, or attend and, and recognize or reflect on your own experience and grow. So how can you possibly know ahead of time? That's a lot of pressure. That's not what therapy yeah. is about. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we're going to do one more from uh, this episode. This is uh, the one true Glorbus. All right. Well, you, apparently there's only one of you. Um, <laughs> Question, I'm hesitant to tell my therapist what I need dug into slash broken down. We always just talk about stuff currently going on. They are specific. Uh, they are specifically a trauma therapist, but I still feel bad saying, quote, this actually isn't helpful. I can complain about work with my friends, end quote. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the like, thing that I want to tag onto this is a situation because I, I feel like I know what they're talking about where you know, there's that moment at the beginning of a therapy session where it's just like, hey, how are things going? And you start talking about stuff and then the therapists ask a question about something and it feels like that's pulling the conversation in that way. And I know that even when I was in, on the couch that um, I didn't want to go into that, but I kept talking that because that's what the therapist asked about. Mm. And and it does go back to what Dr. B was just saying. It was just like, you know, the therapist works for you, but it's still like, it's that social interaction between two people where it's like, how do I tell this person that's not what I want to talk about? Right. And to add on to that, I often think that so if a therapist is asking about something as the client, I might think, oh, maybe I should be headed in that direction. Right. But then if you go away unsatisfied, you know, because we really didn't tackle what was going on, you need to talk about it as well. I think in our daily life, we're not necessarily as practiced to go deep the way you need to in therapy. There's very few people who are going to really get us to that place. And we, we don't necessarily do that a lot on our own, which is fine. That's the task. I call of that therapy. info dumping. Right. <laughs> How are you doing? Well, I know we just met 30 seconds ago when you grabbed my produce to put it in the bag, but you asked the question, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Strap in. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but I think it's, it's, first of all, great if your therapist is checking in and sort of saying, is this where we want to go today? And just reflecting on that, you know, periodically through the session, but also in the, how is this sitting with you? Where do you want to go? I know as a therapist, I would love to hear that from a client. If it's really, if it's going sideways, I really want to know about it so that I can work better for my client. I and don't. Yeah, that's something I hear that I, I, I would echo that. And just about every mental health professional I personally know says the same thing. We aren't, we're very often anxious about meeting clients needs. Yeah. And if a client were to come to me, and were to say, um, you know, hey, 
I, I, could I talk to you about something? I feel like there's something I want to get out of therapy that I'm not, and we're not addressing it. My, I'm just like, what's going through my mind is, oh, insert expletive here. Crap, I missed something. Oh God, let's get this going in the right direction. Um, very, very frequently, mental health yeah. professionals are anxious about meeting your needs. And if Absolutely. they're not, they're going to, a lot of us are going to feel kind of mortified, but also a little relieved that you have the courage to speak up. Now that's not everybody. Some, some are very power hungry, like any, like in, in any industry you've got your, in any industry, you've got your people who are not going to react well, but I will say from most of the ones I know, like hearing, Hey, could we adjust things in a different direction? And you know what? You ought to feel, you ought to. I want my clients to feel like they can come to me with that sort of stuff. That is so important. And um, and yeah, it, it's, it's courageous, but it's absolutely where I want people to be able to go. What's difficult sometimes from where I sit is like you might, or I might have a sense about what's coming up for clients or where perhaps they, in my mind, uh, it would be really useful for them to explore something, right? Um, there is a balance between me pushing and me just giving a little nudge and me outright forcing you into something you might not be ready. Sure, it might be sitting there. And I've had clients tell me at the beginning of the work, sometimes there's something that I really want to look at, um, but, it, you know, but I'm not sure I'm ready to do so. And I'm thinking, yeah, we just met. This might be hard for you to look at. And so I won't push. And maybe I'll, I'll let it to one side. But then, you know, if they come back with, um, you know, I was, I could have done, I was ready at the beginning of this session to talk about that. And I'm like, oh, I feel bad then that I didn't, you know, because that's a tough one, right? You want people to feel like you want a client's consent to go into their material, and there should never, you shouldn't feel as a client that your therapist is pushing you to work on or look at something that perhaps you're not ready to. And at the mm -hmm. same yep. time, we can't always tell when you're ready. Yeah. We work at it, but we can't always know. So this checking in process, how are you doing? You know, I know we had these things you wanted to tackle at some point. And how's that going? I think that becomes a really important conversation. Mm -hmm. I, I will actually, um, and this is part of, this is part of, uh, I was pretty extensively trained in doing cognitive behavioral therapy, which those of you who have watched the show long enough know, I've got a beef with the way most people do cognitive behavioral therapy because it's been weaponized um, when it's really supposed to be quite collaborative um, and not dictatorial. Um, I overtly ask clients in each session, what do you want to get out of today? Mm. Absolutely. God, what do you want to address today? Yeah. And um, th that's that's very overtly part, part of the cognitive, oh, it's supposed to be part of the cognitive behavioral process of working collaboratively. It's like, so what do you want to get out of today? I mm -hmm. want to meet your needs. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. um, like yeah. And I make it very overt. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's take a quick break to remind our viewers and listeners of our disclaimer, and then we'll be back to answer a few more questions. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. 
While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Yes, this is what we do in the break, is, is we dance. <laughs> Um, so we're going to hop over to episode 46, Couples Therapy. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, one that we have marked for both of you. This is from Crafty Rebel. Uh, I've never understood people's attitudes of together for together's sake. If you're not happy in a relationship, why stay? Even if there's kids involved, surely it's healthier for them to be happy, uh, but separate, <sighs> to be happy with separated parents uh, than miserable married ones stability is good for children and stability looks like a lot of things kids fair kids tend to be better with consistent stable parents who are apart than chaotic parents who are together yeah so if you if you separate or divorce um and it's the better choice for the two of you and it, you know you get some support with uh, a divorce coach or a parenting coordinator to work out how to parent your kids so they don't become the battleground. Kids will appreciate their parents as people when those parents are happier with their own lives. We want our children to be able to set boundaries if relationships aren't working, to ask for their needs to be met, and to know how to be honest and stable in the relationship or in their own relationships, right? And if we have this model of stay no matter what, what are our kids learning? You know, and I will personally share that I actually lived through two divorces in my family. I was living with my grandparents when they split up after 32 years of marriage. Um, I've been with them since I was a, an infant, and then I ended up living with my parents who had stayed together, and my living with them was actually one of the things that led to their split in a good way, as in they now had a third person come into the marriage and witness how things were, and they were able to witness each other as parents, and that led to them recognizing that the marriage needed to end. And I have to say, in both instances, I was nine during the first one and 12 at the second, or almost 12. It was a relief to me as the child to see this happen. I could see, even as a child, they were really making themselves miserable. It's no good. What sort of sacrifice are you teaching your children to make in their own relationships? So. Yup. I've seen, I've seen this. Uh, I'm just going to be here grumpy, just like, yup. Yeah, that's fair. I've seen, I've seen this too many times, both professionally and personally, where parents want to stay yeah. together, you know, for the kids. But it is so much worse for, generally speaking, it is so much worse for kids' development to see ongoing fighting at ongoing, consistent, vitriolic fighting at home versus supportive, consistent, stable separateness. Yeah. That's fair. 
Um, okay, one other one from Couples Therapy. Um, this is from uh, Monkey House. Question, how frequently do couples initiate couples therapy outside of the context of relationship troubles? I feel culture has shaped the perception of couples therapy as a last resort so strongly. I'm curious. Um, I do see this changing, actually, in the couples who are coming to see me. It was very much the case that it was a last resort. Often it was... Uh, somebody saying that's it, you know, I I got to I want to separate, I want a divorce, and then the other partner saying, but wait, let's try counseling, and the first person saying, listen, I've been asking for counseling for years, right? And they're like, but I didn't realize you were really going to leave, or that's the underlying thought process, and that's really difficult. Uh, I'm not saying it's not possible at that stage to turn a, a relationship around, but it is much, much more difficult than if we're looking at, hmm, I think we might have these problems at some point in the future, or I worry about what it might be like if we have a child and the adjustment and stuff. And coming at those points, it's so much better, so much better. Any, any, any thoughts on that, Dr. B, real quick before we go to the next one? Yeah. <laughs> that's fair uh, no i'm just gonna be i'm just gonna be the hype man here at this point i'm gonna i i'm just gonna uh, be behind mitra just going yeah uh next one's from episode 47 where we did our anxiety ama um uh, let's see uh river one says question can someone develop severe avoidance behaviors uh to com uh, compensate for anxiety yeah sure why not 100 percent absolutely <laughs> great tool in the yeah show. <laughs> <laughs> my god avoidance is fun yeah. uh, let's avoid avoidance yeah. wait no what no wait, it's what? Uh, it's a, a common thing. destiny 2 setting for that <laughs> <laughs> i want i can avoid certain things in destiny 2 <gasps> yeah. i do it all the time trust me <laughs> god like matt like matchmaking strikes <laughs> I avoid the crucible all the time because it makes yeah. me feel bad about myself. Yeah. Because I have, I just take two steps and I'm out. Yep. <laughs> no, it's avoidance is a common strategy when it comes to anxiety. And it's, it's something freak people frequently do. Um, one of the tricky things, and you've, a lot of you who have watched the show for a while have heard me say this, that outwardly, um, avoidance and distraction behaviors can look the same, but often the cognitive process is different. Um, and that makes a significant difference because uh, distraction strategies can be long-term okay for a lot of people when it comes to, uh, when it comes to um, well, a whole lot of stuff because distraction is, uh, you know, I can't handle this right now and I can handle it in the future. I'm just taking mm -hmm. a break. Mm -hmm. Whereas avoid cognitively avoidance strategies are going la 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 I can't do this la 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 la. Um, yeah. How'd you know difference. that's how I play Dustin most of the time? Because <laughs> I've done this with you. I have done this. Y'all don't even understand. Um, actually, no, I shouldn't get into that because no. you're gonna wrap me out for the like the cackle I let off when a lot of explosions happen. <laughs> Hey, I'm like time, Michael Bay. That the times we played, it was distraction. It was distraction, <laughs> not avoidance. <laughs> no, I'm avoiding just flinging arrows in the back, or you know, using the graviton lance to make all the all the. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Beecher, did you have anything that you want to put on that one? 
Only that distraction can sometimes also be a form of control in a situation where you're anxious and catastrophizing about things you cannot control. In that case, applying some distraction in order to manage your feelings is pretty healthy. Whereas avoidance, ignoring your feelings as well, as obviously you can't manage something that you can't control, but avoiding your own feelings about it just actually creates more stress in your system. Yeah. Yeah. Gumby <laughs> <laughs> Fan One says, question, is it possible that antidepressant meds could help treat anxiety too? Hmm. Um, so I, I can take this one, at least a part of it. Um, yes, there are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors that are uh, good for both depression and anxiety. There are also some that are uh, that tend to be prescribed more for anxiety than depression. Um, and you know, each of our individual physiological systems is just that individual and some things will work well for you and some things perhaps less so and unfortunately when you get into looking at medications there is a trial and error process it is a very good idea to have family members or a therapist or a good family doctor you can meet with frequently while you're in the process of figuring out what works for you so there you go. talk to your prescriber <laughs> every time uh, this one we had marked for uh, Dr. B. Uh, this is Simmons13579. Uh, question, any recommendations for CBT workbooks or books? Yes. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Um, this is kind of a complicated answer because um, generally speaking, I don't, when, when people ask me about workbooks, I often give them a note of caution that um, work, uh, I use workbooks sometimes in conjunction with therapy, because there's a really, there's a temptation for a lot of people to move through things too quickly when they may not be emotionally ready for things. And, um, and so they'll just go through the workbook at a, a work, workbook at a pace that ends up being almost a little damaging to them. Whereas doing it in conjunction with a therapist can be a little bit more paced and slow and you can incorporate new things into your life. Um, but that being said, uh, I, I love the anxiety and worry workbook uh, that I, I believe that's David Ellis and Aaron Beck. Uh, there's one I've used many times simply called the PTSD workbook uh, that has just some lovely definitions of safety in that workbook. Um, those, those are, I think the two that I go to the most um, when I use workbooks, um, the problem with workbooks is they're not individualized. Uh, they're, I think they're great utility to draw from if you know them. Um, but I very rarely go through them sequentially with people because, you know, they're, they're kind of a prototype and people tend to break the mold by being, you know, people. And I think that's an important piece of working with workbooks is, is using what, what is going to work for you and taking your time with them. And they can be great in conjunction with therapy or with group work, often with uh, group work around anxiety or an anxiety group, there will be a workbook and, uh, you know, you want to make it yours as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so I think what we're going to do, uh, because we do have a couple other episodes, uh, we have been getting questions uh, for this episode as well, though. Uh, I think we're going to round out the past questions with this one. 
and then uh, you know in the future when we do another one of these, we'll uh, we'll get those ones in there. Uh, so this one though uh, was a uh, same episode, but lurking writer says off topic, but question: What prompted led to the creation of this show? I feel sure. like you've created an incredibly useful and important thing here. Well, thank you, lurking writer. How this show happened? Well, <laughs> it, it sort of. Uh, I sort of happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How did this happen? Mitra happened. <laughs> yes. And then there was Mitra. <laughs> yes. I, and and um, there's also my, my lovely partner who um, is is uh, the CEO of Codename. And I don't usually say that because I usually separate this show from, uh, you know, how it started, but you are asking. And um, I am very fortunate to be with someone who appreciates what I do for work. And at one point, I think it started because I was playing Animal Crossing rather ferociously. And I was talking about attachment um, and attachment theory. And there was this, you know how in Animal Crossing, if any of you have played it, <clears throat> your little villagers ask to leave. And so there's that point in terms of relationship, you know, if you will. And AKA then my moment of terror. <laughs> and no! then there's, there's also the piece where maybe you haven't played for a month and you come back to the game and there's cockroaches and there's your villagers sort of saying, where have you been? My village is um, so covered with weeds. I know. So right? judgmental. Yeah. Right? And so, so I was really curious about this idea of relationships and gaming and, you know, relationships with games and in-game characters and stuff. And I was saying to him, you know what, it would be so much fun to kind of do a stream or a YouTube thing or something where I kind of talked about these issues in that way. And he was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> and then he went away and thought about it and said, I think you need to meet Raphael Bocamazzo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so we had a conversation and what did you think, Dr. B? <laughs> well, I, I thought it was, so it was really, it, it was, I, I am, if y'all haven't picked up on now on this by now, after 50 episodes, I am a cynical optimist. Um, or I should say I'm a hopeful cynic. I think, <laughs> I, 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 I think people have tremendous potential. I also think we're by and large, a group of selfish, right? Bastards. And the, and especially living in a capitalistic society, it was a very strange experience for me to have a game studio that I respect so, so much. And I respect all the more now because of this, um, come to me and be like, hey, do you wanna do a talk show about mental health with another mental health professional who is amazing and all of these good things that Eric had to say about you? Um, and- He is married to me. I, <laughs> you know, I just thought you should know. Um, well, but you. the- <laughs> Um, but when he said, do you want to do a mental health talk show and we'll stream it, we'll support it. And I'm like, cool. You mean about mental health and games and an effort to promote your product? No. Yeah. Wait, so not overtly tied into your product? No. B about mental health and games? I mean, if you want. So mental health in general? Yeah. Why? It's good for the community. <laughs> <laughs> the face just keeps getting longer and longer. <laughs> Wait, so you you want to do this? You want to support this? You want to throw the weight of the studio behind it because you just want to benefit the community? Yeah. I was so confused by that. <laughs> and, and here we are, fifty shows later, and I'm like, I I love it. C code name. All my all my mobiles are belong to you. Just <laughs> I. 
it, it was great. It, and for context, also Codename Entertainment has been a very long-standing supporter of the AFK room in so in so many respects. And um, I, I, you know, I just now having worked with them uh, more closely through the process of this show, I, yeah, I have lots of good things to say. So um, that's really it, it. This this show came about bec- largely because of Mitra and then Eric saying, hey, let's do something to benefit the community. And Dr. B, you want to be a part of this? And I was like, yes, I would like to go there. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, then, and as soon as the, the two of us met and then the three of us, you know, <laughs> we just we just kind of were like. Boom. We're like, I mean, it would be, I can't wait to get together with these guys in person. I was lucky enough to, to meet Raphael in, in Seattle um, a few months back, and it was just such a delight. So I'm also, taller than you think. Oh my God, he really is. He's sitting down, and then he kind of, you know, me and, and my, my wonderful middle kid, Sasha, um, and, and Sasha's husband kind of, we're, we're in the hotel and we sort of trot up towards him and he unfolds himself out of this chair and he just keeps on going. <laughs> and I'm short for my family. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> my grandma was six feet tall. <laughs> Well, and I'm five three, and you know the other two are about that as well, and so we were all tiny little hobbitses. It was it was such a delight. <laughs> so I think that's it. You know, that's how it started. But what really propels it is, I think, um, just the sincerity and delight between between us, really, between the three of us in particular, um, from the studio itself, from the willingness and care to to really. Um, bring mental health issues and the recognition of them and the significance of them to the community and you know to each other so and now look at us we did 50 episodes yeah i know i was shocked shocked i tell you (laughs) (laughs) no really i had no idea we were at 50 oh my god Yeah, no, it's uh, it's absolutely wild. I, I love getting to do the show with you both. Love hearing the amazing and awesome things you have to say about these topics. Uh, th- th- I mean, this was a show that like when Dylan uh, brought me into a meeting to talk about, I, I jumped at it. Like all he said was like, we want to do a show about mental health. I said, sign me up. Done. And uh, yeah, th- this is, this has been fantastic, and I, I can't wait to do more with y'all. Um, I, I and y'all should go back and look at episode one just to see just to see the progression of oh, yeah. all oh, of yeah. our looks and our backgrounds <laughs> and so forth. And we oh, haven't seen an appearance of the Strahd finger puppets in a while. Oh, and yeah, it's, it's been true. A bit. It's, been a it's bit. true. Yeah. yeah, we need to do that. Need, oh, because it. it's the fiftieth episode. I haven't done it. Oh, there we go. There we go. Got the tear on there. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> I don't have my laurel top hat near me, but oh well, such is life. <laughs> um, I, we, we did get uh, quite a few questions, and um, I do thank you for that. I did realize that uh, did, I, I forget that I keep forgetting that we have to sh- end the show a little bit early because we have a show that runs right into it. So I'm going to do, I'm going I'm to ask one question from this. Um, th- this comes from uh, Sightgeist. Question. Oh, God, I know oh, what this lovely. is. Okay question what is your favorite video game franchise and why is it the witcher it's not the witcher (laughs) my answer is going to be it's because dr court told me it was (laughs) not the witcher (laughs) so so what what, what's your favorite video game franchise oh i have to choose just one 
What is wrong with you people? <laughs> we are asking the hard-hitting questions on episode 50. <laughs> oh, no, I, I've got this. I've got this. Oh, yeah? Um, And it's because of one game, and mm. that is Elder Scrolls. That's my Ooh. favorite franchise. I have lost count of how many times I have replayed um, I, I, I've replayed uh, Skyrim, and I will uh, buy all of the editions of Elder Scrolls Six when it comes out. <laughs> I, I will, <laughs> I will do all of the things. I will, I, I will create a summoning circle for Elder Scrolls Six VI and Seven, and I'll put. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm going to put in there, but yeah, that's my favorite video game franchise. I like it. Yeah, I have two. One is one is the historic one, which was I I really enjoyed playing World of Warcraft because I got to play it with my kids. I got mm -hmm. to play it with my mom. Um, you know, we had a really nice guild. Um, I I did actually stop playing World of Warcraft um, last year for reasons, um, but I also happen to absolutely love Animal Crossing and, yeah. and that franchise because it's just so much fun and it's kind of easy to pick up and put down and my life hasn't allowed for me to get really deeply into something more recently, so that's kind of worked for me. So, But Fair. there isn't just one. I've played a number of other games. I've just, I just really love games and I mm -hmm. love getting to play them with people, so yeah. I, uh, I think my answer is uh, going to be one that I've talked about a lot on the show, which is Dark Souls franchise. Um, mm. They, they, I know it sounds weird. They help me with depression, <laughs> and so it's uh, not weird. Yeah, uh, and so not weird. That one, uh, considering the fact that I played uh, one, two, three, Bloodborne and Elden Ring all back to back this year, and enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah, I definitely have to think that's my my favorite video game franchise. Um, but that is all the time that we've got for this episode. Oh. The 50th uh, time I get to do this. The 50th time you get to undo the bow tie. You know, there's there, there might be people out there that only listen to the podcast. I have no idea you do that every episode. Oh, I, <laughs> every episode I undo the bow tie and I undo the top button. Yep, yep. Get, get into the relax mode. Transition rituals. Yes. Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much, uh, everyone, for joining us uh, and for asking your questions. And like I said, we will hold on to these. So when we do another one of these episodes, uh, we can uh, grab from there as well. Uh, and also just thank you for uh, sticking with us for 50 episodes. It really means a lot. Uh, it really means a lot. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you. We are fortunate to have you. And, you know, we're so fortunate to have our community. Absolutely. We uh, heart you all in a school appropriate way. <laughs> uh, before we go, because I forgot to do it at the beginning episode, who are you two for the fine folks who oh, may God. not know, and oh, why may they find you on the interwebs? If they know, if you know, you know. I couldn't help it. Um, I'm Mitra Jordan. I'm a therapist in private practice in Victoria, British Columbia. Um, and I, as I think has been made very clear through this episode, I'm passionate about mental health and I'm certainly passionate about games as well. I am Princess Angelina Contessa Louisa <laughs> Francesca, <laughs> Banana Fana Fofesca the third. <laughs> I'm Rafael Bocamazzo, better known as Dr. B for long, long Italian, Italian name, name reasons. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can find me on all the socials at the Dr. B. That's T-H-E-E-D-O-C-T-O-R-B as in boy. Um, but you know what? Find Take This first at Take This Org. Stay up to date on what we're doing. We got a lot of cool stuff. And for those of you who caught the Animaniacs reference, well done. <laughs> 
I am Trevor Bass. I'm the community manager for Isle Champions of Forgotten Realms. You can find me anywhere the Isle Champions community is because that's where I'm supposed to be and that's where I'll be. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. At, there. Yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Trevor. There is an A hiding in there and all the way too many podcasts that I do. Uh, thank you to Mars Martin for moderating in the chat this episode, doing a fantastic job. Uh, like I said, this is uh, our season finale. So that means we're going to take two weeks off and uh, then come back with a new season, season five. But we need your suggestions for topics. So please tweet at us uh, your suggestions is probably the best way for us to be able to see what you want us to talk about. Um, and we will uh, gather that list together, take a look at them and um, you know see what we're gonna do for the next season. Um, so let's see, yeah, uh, coming up, oh God, immediately, uh, is Bardic Inspiration, which we have to run away for. Uh, so uh, be sure to stick around for that. We've got a lot of streaming going on, a whole day of streaming going on tomorrow. So be sure to stick around for that. We have a lot of really cool things happening. I hope you all enjoy it, but that is gonna do it for this week's episode. So until next season, take care of yourself. Bye everyone. Bye everyone. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.